This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode of Nutshell Politics this week. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your charming host this week. Uh, we're going to be diving into a really important topic today. I know many of you probably were aware that last week on June 6th was the 75th anniversary of what's often referred to as D-Day or the Normandy landings, uh, the the Allied invasion of Normandy during World War II. It was uh, codenamed Operation Neptune, so you may hear it referred to a lot of different things, but it's the largest seaborne invasion in the history of the world. And this was a really big, important battle. Uh, Depending on who you ask, it may or may not have been the turning point of World War II, but either way, this particular battle was a huge, huge moment during World War II and it's one that I thought we could kind of discuss a little bit today. Uh, today's episode is not going to be a long one. I, rather than spend a lot of time talking about this, I would encourage you guys to go online and, and find interviews with D-Day survivors, images, maybe stories directly from the people who were involved. All of that will be a lot more moving than anything I can do on this, but I thought we could spend a little bit of time today talking about what D-Day was. And in particular, I'd like to focus on some of the maybe more lesser-known stories of the actual invasion. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump right into this. So as I said, the day that we know as D-Day also would be known as the Normandy landings or the Allied invasion of Normandy, part of Operation Overlord, Operation Neptune, Any of these names, they all mean the same thing. It was what took place on Tuesday, June 6th of 1944. And this was a seaborne invasion into, or which I should say began the liberation of France at the time. Uh, And this particular part of France was under German control or Nazi control. And this basically was what laid the foundation for what would ultimately become a massive allied victory over the Nazis on the kind of the Western Front. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times this is a seaborne invasion. Now, what I mean by that is that it was an, an amphibious landing. It came from the sea, but this actually wasn't the, the first part of, of D-Day. Actually, the, the amphibious landings, which are the photos you tend to see of the men coming off of the boats, wading through the water onto shore... It actually was preceded by a pretty extensive bombardment ahead of time, both from the air and from other naval vessels. And then on top of that, there were there was an airborne assault as well, which included a lot of uh, U.S., British, and Canadian troops that kind of came from the air that night. And then, a handful of hours later, we had the armed infantry landing on the coast of France at about 6.30 that morning. Now, there was a about a 50-mile stretch of the coast off of Normandy, and you'll frequently hear it talked about in terms of the beaches that they, they hit. Uh, Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, Gold, Juneau, Sword. But in particular, Utah and Omaha are kind of the two big ones that you'll frequently hear. Uh, and Omaha is, is the beach that you'll frequently talk, hear talked about as being the 
the worst. This is where the casualties were the heaviest. There were a lot of very high cliffs in this area. And actually what kind of happened to Omaha is that there were a lot of strong winds. So the, the boats that kind of came in to land on the beach actually ended up pretty far east of where they were intended to be. And so they landed under very heavy fire from these kind of gun embarkments that were up up high on cliffs overlooking the beach. And they also came into beaches that were mined with stakes, barbed wire, metal, these kind of big metal tripod-like things. And so the mines and the, the wire and all these obstacles made clearing the beaches very, very difficult. This is partly why Omaha in particular was, was very deadly for a lot of these, these young men who were charging the beach and trying to overtake this. And actually, initially, too, this was not looked on as, as a successful invasion. That very first day, none of their goals that they wanted to achieve were met. Uh, most of the major cities were still in German hands. And, and in fact, one of the, the major objectives, one city was, wasn't even captured for another couple of weeks. And that first day, they managed to link Juno and Gold Beaches but their goal had been to link all five, and they didn't actually manage to do that for, for several days either. However, D-Day itself is noted because it, it's what really got that foothold into Nazi territory in this German-occupied France that the Allied troops were ultimately able to expand over the coming months. Now, I'm not going to get into a ton of the detail on this. As I said, I think you can learn a lot more from going and listening to interviews and looking at some of the photographs and videos. But a little bit of, of background here. This was... I've mentioned the term allied victory or as an allied troops, and this was because it was a mixture of a lot of different countries. As I mentioned, the United States and the British and, and Canada were all involved, but we also had New Zealand, Australia, France itself was, was obviously involved. It was in their territory, Norway, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and they were all basically fighting against the Nazi German leaders. Now, I mentioned right back at the beginning the different names you'll frequently hear for this. One of the ones I listed was something called Operation Overlord. Now, this was the code name that you'll frequently hear. You frequently hear it referred to for the Battle of Normandy. But mostly it was actually the name given to kind of a large-scale invasion of the whole continent. And Operation Neptune, which is the actual charging of the beach, that, that was D-Day. So Operation Neptune was kind of the, the first phase of Operation Overlord. Now, D-Day itself, as I said, was a huge, huge deal. Uh, on this day, June 6th of 1944, more than 160,000 Allied troops came together to kind of converge on this one, about 50-mile stretch of coast. And so the battle actually, I should say the battle, the operation actually started by Allied soldiers in England making their way kind of across the English Channel. And as I said, landing on the northern coast of France, these five beaches, and they stormed these beaches for hours, facing, facing off against a very well-entrenched, well-armed German line that mostly had been just sitting there waiting for them to arrive. And the reason this is such a big deal is the casualty count here was drastic. Uh, most experts will say that about 4,000 Allied soldiers died in that very first day alone. Another 6,000 or so went missing or, or were grievously injured. Uh, frequently, it's been described as, as hell on earth. It was so terrible. The price that was paid by these young men was devastating, and the casualty count only went up as you went into multiple days. Total casualties on the German side were again in the 4,000 plus range. Some people estimate as high as 9,000. Uh, and so where we have massive numbers of deaths and 
a lot of these deaths were very much focused on the beach at Omaha in particular. And one of the big reasons that this day gets pointed to throughout history as being such a, a monumental success, despite the, the huge casualties, is that they actually kind of expected the casualty count to be higher. There were some military experts that anticipated troops, or should I say, casualty count of troops as being as high as 20,000 on that first day. And so when you measure it against kind of some of those expectations, you know, D-Day was actually a pretty great success story. It's one that frequently pops up in stories and movies as being uh, massively heroic. You had soldiers jumping out of these boats with bullets flying all around them, charging beaches with their comrades being cut down all around them, only to ultimately succeed and to, to force the Germans back. And it becomes even more tragic when you look at the age of these. A lot of the Allied soldiers, most of them were younger than 20 years old. So they were quite young, uh, these young men who were, who were charging the beaches quite heroically. Now, the worst fighting, as I mentioned, during D-Day was at Omaha Beach. Now, Omaha Beach was actually a, a code name for one of the sectors. It's a section off the coast, uh, sorry, a section of the coast of Normandy, France, uh, facing the English Channel. And it was about five miles or so long. And so taking Omaha was the responsibility of U.S. Army troops, predominantly by the U.S. Navy and the Coast Guard. And then there were a fair amount of British, Canadian, and kind of free French soldiers as well fighting there. Uh, you'll frequently hear them re referenced as Free France. This was kind of the government in exile led by Charles de Gaulle during the Second World War that continued to fight against the Axis powers uh, despite France kind of being taken over by the Nazis. And so you had the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Free France, and actually Norway got involved a little bit on this particular battle as well. Uh, and this was where the the casualties were the heaviest. Uh, very little went according to plan at Omaha. Uh, there were a lot of difficulties in navigating. As I said, heavy winds pushed a lot of the, the boats off their target. The defenses were particularly strong there, and so the casualties were, were drastic. They had to clear a lot of these beach obstacles as well, which made it even more difficult. And ultimately, at least half, possibly quite a bit more than half, of all casualties during D-Day took place at Omaha. And so this was a, a pretty devastating section, but ultimately the Allies were able to secure two very small kind of isolated footholds on the beach. And mostly this was done by uh, individual groups of survivors kind of making a lot of improvised assaults. Uh, they kind of were able to penetrate through the defenses and then ultimately start to scale some of the bluffs between the kind of the most heavily defended points. And ultimately they get these kind of two isolated footholds by the end of the day. And ultimately those two footholds start to be expanded and be able to exploit some of that uh, or some of those inroads and ultimately continue to push back the Germans over days to come. Now, obviously, you can read a lot about a lot of this online, and I really recommend that you do that. Uh, go and find some of these photos. Pretty much everybody at the time knew that this Normandy campaign was going to be a very crucial step in the war. And so the Allies actually documented it pretty extensively through both film and still photography at the time. And so you can find a lot of really great photos and even some video of this. It's stunning how some of these, or I should say how emotionally moving some of these photos can be, really revealing what, what it was actually like. And not all of the, the photos either are black and white. Most photos from the campaign are black and white, but there were a few thousand images or so that were taken using kind of this, at the time, very newly developed color film. And so you can actually find some color images as well. 
And so you get a lot of rare insight into the victory through some of this visual record really puts it into a lot of perspective. And so I'd recommend you go check some of those out. But I wanted to finish out today by talking about some of the maybe lesser known stories around D-Day. You'll frequently hear the stories of allied forces facing rough weather, fierce gunfire, storming Normandy's beaches, you know, tough odds, high casualties, etc. helped turn the tide of World War II. But there are some some stories that people don't necessarily always talk about. And I wanted to kind of touch on a few of those. Now, one of the big ones actually here what actually deals with Adolf Hitler and some of a miscalculation that he made. As early as 1942, uh, which is about two years or so before D-Day, Hitler expected some sort of large-scale Allied invasion of France that would come through the sea. But the Allies actually ran a pretty extensive deception campaign. That was one of those operations I mentioned earlier, in addition to Operation Neptune. It was part of Operation Overlord. But Hitler actually miscalculated here a little bit. And he believed that one of the French port cities in particular was going to be the top candidate for where they were going to to move in. And so this is where they installed some of their most massive gun batteries. And while most of the rest of the beaches, including the Normandy beaches, were, as I said, defended with a ton of obstacles and a lot of men as well, it actually could have been a lot worse because most of their their heavy artillery was placed at this port city further away. And interestingly, too, the story here goes that Hitler's field marshal, a man by the name of Erwin Rommel, he actually recommended to Hitler that they move them closer to Normandy. He, he had better ideas on where they were going to come in, but Hitler refused to listen to him. And so without the money and manpower to install kind of a continuous line of defense across the whole beach, the Nazis focused on established ports rather than open beaches. And so that actually probably led to the Allies being able to gain the, the ground that they were able to. And it all goes back to kind of Hitler's megalomania a little bit and being a little too focused on his own ideas and not willing to listen to some of his commanders uh, and some of the miscalculations he made about where he thought the allies were going to come into. Now, one of the heroes on Omaha Beach, as I said, this is where the the uh, most gruesome and deadliest casualties came from. One of the major heroes on this beach was a man by the name of Waverly B. Woodson. He was one who uh, was on one of these boats that disembarked onto Omaha Beach that morning. A German shell had just landed in his his boat, basically blasting it apart. It killed the man next to him instantaneously, and he was peppered with so much shrapnel that that he actually thought he was he was dying as well. But Woodson in particular actually becomes very highly uh, commended. He becomes one of the major heroes of this battle. He sets up a medical aid station. He, he was a trained medic, and for 30 hours, he worked to remove bullets, to give out blood, blood plasma, clean out wounds, reset broken bones. At one point, he actually amputated a foot. He saved multiple men from drowning. Uh, weirdly, he never actually receives a medal for this, and there's probably a variety of reasons to this. One of the big ones, though, unfortunately, is that he was a an African-American man. This was There was one African-American combat unit that fought on D-Day, and this was his unit that was blasted apart by this the shell that landed in their landing craft. And so he actually becomes one of the major heroes of Omaha Beach, this black combat medic, uh, treated more than 200 men in that 30 hours. Uh, so he was very, very successful and saved a lot of lives. Now, one of the more interesting 
I should say, surprising facts about D-Day is that we actually don't know what the casualty count is. You've heard me mention a few numbers, but most of those are big estimates. Uh, we knew that casualties were going to be staggeringly high. General Eisenhower was actually told by one of his top wartime strategists that paratrooper casualties alone could be as high as 75%. And we do know casualties were very high, but the estimates on this are wildly ranging. Uh, we see estimates from as low as 4,000 troops that died, sorry, allied troops that died, to as high as 12,000. And to this day, the project to kind of continue to count the dead and the, the injured on that day is still ongoing. And we may never know actual casualty numbers from this. It's, it's um, very difficult to track a lot of this, especially because... The, this first day was simply the the opener of a months-long Normandy campaign, and so a lot of times it was very hard to keep accurate numbers because you kind of had you kind of had to keep moving onto the next day and the next plan as they continued to move into German-occupied France. But as I mentioned, Eisenhower was president here, and the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on was his role. Just kind of a few months before D-Day happened, Eisenhower is meeting with. Uh, Winston Churchill, who's the Prime Minister of England at the time, and they're they're hatching kind of a plan here. And in particular, they're they're actually kind of feuding a little bit here. Uh, Eisenhower really wants to take a lot of strategic Allied bombers that had been going after German industrial plants at the time, and he really wants to move those bombers to target infrastructure in France. And for Eisenhower, this seemed like a very obvious thing to do. You know, this is where the Nazis were holed up. They were in France destroying the infrastructure there was going to be really key in winning the war, he believed. But he actually faced a lot of opposition, including from Churchill and a man by the name of Arthur Harris. He was the head of the Royal Air Force, which is the RAF or the, the British Air Force. Uh, he was kind of the head of their, their bombers. And they disagreed. They thought it was a waste of resources. Churchill thought there was a, a huge potential for collateral damage. France was an important ally. As I mentioned before, there were a lot of free French troops from the government in exile that were fighting alongside them. And so there was a lot of disagreement about whether or not this bombing should take place. And actually, Eisenhower threatened at this point to step down as president of the United States just a couple months before D-Day. And so he actually threatened to quit the presidency of the United States in the middle of World War II. But the move, that threat actually did work out, and the British agreed to go along with his plan to move the bombing. The bombing went ahead, and it ultimately was uh, considered a success, too. And this also played a pretty major key role in taking down the Nazis in and across France. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode there. I know it was a little bit short today, and we didn't even do our normal commercial break, but I think this is a really sobering topic and one that, again, I'm going to highly recommend. You guys, go find video of this. Go find images. Go find interviews. There are very, very few people who are still alive from World War II. There are less than about 400,000 Americans who served in World War II still alive. And it's quite possible within the next 10 years or so, we're going to have fewer than 50,000 still alive. The Battles of Normandy, while D-Day kicked it off, continued for roughly about three months. And less than a year after D-Day, Hitler commits suicide and Nazi Germany surrenders. And so this is really, if not the turning point, one of the major turning points of World War II. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and end the episode there. I hope that was interesting for you guys. Uh, I will be back with you guys next week for a new episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, um, you can always find me on Twitter. My username is Justin R underscore Kinney. Please find me, hit that follow button. Be happy to continue this conversation with you or any others. 
also a great way to reach out to me if you have any thoughts about what new episodes you might want to to hear talked about or discussed on the show. If you'd rather reach me on Facebook, I have a, an author page there. I write fiction mystery novels. I have two out called Precipice and Splintered State, and you can find my author page under J. Robert Kinney on Facebook. Again, find me, hit that follow button, subscribe button. Now, if you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast, please get in contact with me. Either of those two ways would be great, and I'd love to talk with you about that possibility. But I'm going to go ahead and close things down. So until next week, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one.